Actually, guys, can you give me one minute? Can I take that call? Yeah, sure. absolutely. Mike and I are ready to do this podcast with Gerald, and he walks away. Too big, too important for talking to Mike and I. I get it. It's good to be the Gerald, I guess. But All right, sorry about that. No problem. Everybody. And before I get started, I'd just like to say, if you get an opportunity, go to youtube.com slash K-E-L-L-Y-T-H-U-L and subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the little bell to be notified. And hi, I'm Kelly Tool at K-E-L-L-Y-T-H-U-L on Twitter and Instagram. And I am Dr. Mike at Official Pagan on Everything. And wow, the first time ever in nearly 100 episodes, we did that at the beginning at all, really. But at the beginning of the show. Yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> so, but I thought, I'm going to get it in this week. Make sure that we, we get that subscribe information to the folks. And here's the thing. You really should subscribe because not only do you get all this great content, we make things happen in the real world, not just in our little podcast circle. I know Kelly doesn't want to take too much credit for this, but I feel like I should take it on our behalf. I feel like we got Billion Dollar Babies back together. I think if you look at history what's changed over the past several years and i think the thing that changed is our episode reviewing billion dollar babies battle axe and i think that started the billion dollar baby tsunami of interest and i I know this is a little bit off topic but i i feel like it is relevant to a lot of the stuff that we do what do you think about that about that announcement so you sent it to me. I haven't had a chance to read through it. Please tell me they're going to be wearing their armor. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I think it was just the announcement of the show, that they're reuniting and there is a live show planned. At least one date. I want the boxing ring. I want the strange rock star soldier armor. <laughs> I want the whole shooting match. Although they might have to let out uh, Michael Bruce's armor a little bit for this. What? So what did you pick up in the article? I just saw the title and was super happy <laughs> just to see that. <laughs> As far as I know, I mean, I, I didn't read deeper into it in the sense of like trying to look up more information, but Billion Dollar Babies, uh, the Alice Cooper band without Alice Cooper is reuniting and there's at least one show that's already scheduled. And I, I believe it's some sort of a benefit show, this one. So I, I don't know if there's longer term plans with this, but I'm really interested. Yeah, I am too. I, I think that would be fun. Where was the location of the the one show that's booked so far? Is it Phoenix? I want to say it was like Connecticut or something like that. Well, that's like, where they used to record. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, we will keep the squaddies updated on that. Uh, is there, so that's one piece since we're doing a couple tangents. Do you have any other news you'd like to share with folks, Mike? Uh, news? I, I'm not sure, Kelly. What do you mean? I don't know. I'm a big fan, as you know, from the currently on hiatus nurture and support. I'm a big fan of documentaries, and I just seem to recall some information about a documentary coming up that might be of interest to the squatties. Oh, I think I know what you mean. I wasn't going to say anything because I'm humble. Yeah, that's what that's what I always say. <laughs> I'm a really humble guy, but I am going to be featured in the documentary, Oh, the Horror. Everybody knows that I, I do this podcast with Kelly. We've been doing a lot of stuff together. Um, and I'm also in a band called Pagan. I don't know if I ever mentioned that on the show. Did that ever come up? I'll have to go back through the archives, but it might have slipped out once or twice. 
<laughs> but uh, occasionally I produce independent horror movies. And the best known of those movies would be Evil Bong, uh, which was a big, big success and made somebody millions and millions of dollars. And there's all kinds of merchandising and there's like a hundred movies out now and it just keeps going. There's a comic book series now and and anything you can think of that they can put a picture of a bong on. <laughs> that's They make that shit. And I, I've been lucky enough that a few different things I've worked on have turned into franchises or in the case of Amateur Porn Star Killer, I joined an already existing franchise and have been with it ever since. But I'm going to be in this documentary and we're going to talk a little bit about horror movies. And specifically, I, I'm assuming <laughs> uh, Amateur Porn Star Killer, I think, is going to be the main topic of conversation in this one. Is there a release date for this documentary, Mike? There's not a release date yet, but there is like specific filming parameters. Like I, I believe they wrap end of October. And uh, the project is being put together by Tony Newton, uh, who worked on the amateur porn star killer spinoff movie Faces of Snuff, which was beloved by critics, I think is, is how I would describe it. Yeah, there it was buried in flowers thrown by the critics, I would say. <laughs> so he, he was a part of that. That was an anthology project. So he worked on like the wraparound piece of that. And uh, so he's putting this documentary together. It's not specifically about amateur porn star killer, but it is about horror in general. So I'll be on there representing uh, stoners and amateur porn star killer. And there's no better representative available. So <laughs> looking for that. We will keep you posted on progress on that. All yeah, right. I'm actually I'm at the time that we're recording this, I'm going to be filming my interview for it very soon. So I'll, I'll give you some pictures and stuff to post when we get there. I mean, I'm not I'm too humble to, to self-promote, but I'll pass the pictures along to you if you'd like to post them. That seems fair. And, and even though we didn't know each other uh, at the time that these were put together. Well, what's up for, well, not even for. No, not not even for amateur porn star killer. Um, but I still think it's pretty fair to to say I carried you there. You know, it was in spirit <laughs> at that point. Absolutely, it you was. were definitely carrying me in spirit. Yeah, the only because I stopped making movies for a long time, like intentionally. I was just kind of burned out on it. I made like four movies or something in like two years, and then uh, I, I was involved in a bad deal that I can't really talk about too much. Where he made a couple of movies that ended up getting shelved because of like politics and deals and things like that that unfortunately never got a chance to come out and i put a lot of work into those so between being burned out and being frustrated with that i, I stopped my return to it was faces of snuff so that's the only feature film that i've made since we've known each other yeah then maybe just work into had i only known <laughs> at that time this would have been I'm, gonna, I'm gonna definitely put that in there definitely carried it but i mean already the next movie is done the next amateur porn star killer movie is completed and is going to be released very soon. Mark your calendars, folks. <laughs> yeah, gather the family. Fun for the whole family. So, we are on, uh, so those of you who listened last week, we went through a playlist by Mike by a young group of lads called the Beach Boys, and so I decided to kind of stay with the same theming and go with the favorite band of mine, which would be The Who, and I attempted to select songs that I had a pretty strong feeling at least most of them you wouldn't have been familiar with. How did I do? There was only one I've definitely heard before, and there's another one that I'm almost positive I've heard, but maybe in a slightly different way. Sounds good. Well, I think we will just begin rolling because we just whistle through these playlist ones. They're just super quick. Burning through it. I was actually going to say, why don't we take a step back? <laughs> Slow <laughs> this thing breath. down a little bit. We did a little subtle plugging at the beginning. I think that that's con brand consistent, so I think we got that out of the way. But that's my true. Kelly had to get his plugs in there. So my playlist, these are all Who songs, 
begins with the, actually it was the first track on The Who by Numbers, cover drawn by John Entwistle of The Who, the bass player, released in 1975, and the song is called Slip Kid. This is, to me, it's got a lot of the typical Who, strong guitar bass, plenty of bass guitar kind of whistling through it. You've got, as always, the, the, the omnipresence of Keith Moon playing the drum. But this has got kind of a real staccato kind of drive through it. And while it, you can definitely tell it's the Who, it's a slightly different sound than you typically hear from the Who. But I think a punchy little number, and in fact, possibly the best song on this album. So I, as we discussed um, when we did our Who review, I'm not a Who album guy, but I've heard a lot of Who songs. So I, I've never really delved too far in, in entire records. So as far as it being the best on that record, I'm not really qualified to comment on that, but I do take your word on it. I chose on this song to focus on something that people are probably going to think is weird, but I really enjoy songs with hand clapping in them like a lot. That is, for me, a really effective device in songs. I have actually talked about many, many times trying to write a song with hand clapping in it, where it, it seems natural and fits with the song. I wish I had the ability to do that because so far it hasn't worked out, but I just really, really like songs with hand clapping. There, there's something like oddly like tactile in a way that I don't think you get from like modern stuff that's more electronic or even like older records that are more slickly produced when you hear the hand clapping to me it just feels more like a live in the room kind of environment and i think that that's why i like it i know that's a weird thing to focus on in the song but when it's done right i'm a big fan of hand clapping what a wonderful lead into the next song because while 905 is the next song written by john entwistle so slip kid pete townsend composition 905 john entwistle uh 905 was on the who are you album and when it comes to hand clapping, there's nothing better particularly because you can see it in the video. The video for Who, Who Are You is a, what I will assume is kind of a faux recording of the Who in the studio recording Who Are You. And there's hand clapping at the end of Who Are You. And so you've got Entwistle, Townsend, and Keith Moon all around a microphone doing the hand clapping. And it's just kind of fun to watch how they interact doing that, introduce kind of clever ways to clap their hands and all through that and moon and entwistle particularly playing around so if you need a little more who hand clapping it's not this song but you can go back to who are you uh, the title track and you'll get another nice heavy dose on video if that if that uh, is a big goal of yours so check that out but 905 is a john entwistle song does take a different sound as most entwistle songs do takes advantage of the full power of the who but it's got a different vibe than a townsend composition this one's got much more of an electronic feel to it. In a way, it's kind of a precursor to Alice Cooper's clones in terms of thematics there. But it is this idea of my name is 905 and I've just become alive. Test tube created people and it's just kind of a nice kind of sci-fi thing. But I also thought it just had a really kind of interesting sound and fun to listen to. And lyrics atypical to typical Who songs, as is the nature of most, most John Entwistle contributions. So I'm really embarrassed that I didn't put that together before, but obviously I completely see it now. The whole clones tie in there. I, I wish I had noticed that, but I didn't. Uh, my main focus on the song was the synth parts. So uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. I'm in a band, Kelly. Did you know that? I did not know that. So particularly in the live environment, my primary instrument is the synthesizers. And I play old school analog synthesizers, particularly when we play live. So that's the part that really, really interested me on this. So there's another song later in this playlist that I definitely 1000% heard before. Um, even when I saw the title, I don't think I knew it was a Who song, but even when I saw the title, I, I knew 
that song. But this song, that synth part, I'm not going to call anybody out. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've heard this song before or if this has been sampled before. <laughs> because I've definitely heard that synth part, but the rest of the song doesn't necessarily ring too many bells for me. So I want to say it's been sampled prominently. Yeah, so this has been about 1978 would have been the release date for 905. So that kind of gives you a bearing to when you heard it <laughs> to know whether it sampled it or the other thing sampled it. I'm oh, no, they, it would be the other way around. It was a much later. There, there's there's a couple of songs that are kind of coming to mind that have very, very similar synth elements to them. And I'm wondering if to some degree they, they either mimicked this intentionally, if not outright sampled it. And you're kinder than you usually are, but I will... I kind of figured this would be your favorite set of lyrics within the song. So this is about people being fabricated in test tubes, coming out of the freezer, all that kind of thing. So early in the song, uh, Mr. Entwistle sings, and he does the lead vocals on this one. Automatically defrosted, one man who came on time, I became a man, I left the ice cream behind. Which I thought was kind of cool. It, it is a good line. I wasn't going to say anything about it just because I'm a gentleman. You try to keep it family friendly at all. It's, it's very tempting to go down the path that Kelly does, but one of us has to take the high road. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. You make me better. I do what I can. So if I were to guess, it is this next song that you were familiar with. Am I right? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the next one is The Who's... So The Who became somewhat famous for... You know, you can argue whether they did the first rock opera or not with Tommy, but they had two major pieces of work, Tommy and Quadrophenia. Not to not to interrupt, but what is the argument? Like, what do people say was a rock opera prior to Tommy? Um, So I'd have to go back. There's some folks, I think, that are kind of saying there may have been either some Led Zeppelin stuff that was closer to uh, overall thematically linked type of type of thing but a kind of a true a true rock opera depending on how you define it i think there's some other ones i'd have to go i'd have to go back and do my research but i know some people have quibbled to say oh i don't know if they were really the first but i can't think of anybody who had done something like this prior but which prior. makes sense and personally i'm so i'm not super well versed in led zeppelin catalog because uh, i don't like them but <laughs> i'm gonna say no for Led Zeppelin that I disagree with that. And even if there is elements of it, it's just because they stole it from somebody else. Yep. I, I think I could buy that. <laughs> I could definitely buy that. But a quick one. If Tommy wasn't the first rock opera, this was the first mini rock opera. So a quick one while he's away was on the album called a quick one. And it is basically a suite of songs that are pulled together what I shared with Mike uh, for his listening pleasure and we'll include in the playlist that we share on the blog post is actually a live recording of the Who performing this song on the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus where they had a bunch of bands on and the Who came on and played It's a Quick One, which is not a quick one. It's a pretty long song because there's a bunch of things pulled together. It tells the story of someone leaving his lady fair, possibly straying and her being forgiven at the end. And uh, it's just a nice combination of all sorts of things. When you get to see the actual live video, it gives you tremendous appreciation of the amazingness of Keith Moon as a drummer because you just get little snippets at all the craziness that goes on with Keith as playing drums. What always has been my most treasured moment of this song is this is this was an early Who release, and they didn't have a lot of money. They had wanted to put some orchestration in, and so in the middle section, they wanted to have some cellos playing as they went into a song transition, but they couldn't afford cello. So what you'll see when you watch the video or listen to the song, 
when they come to that is you have Intwistle and Roger Daltrey going, cello, 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 cello. So they couldn't afford cellos, but they said cello, and they did it like they wanted it to go, which I just think is super cool. Uh, But it is this kind of sprawling, not, I wouldn't call it rock uh, necessarily, but it's got, got, it breaks into the typical Who power here and there. Pete lets loose on some nice guitar here and there. But it's just kind of this really entertaining shift of music and cleverness and really drives through to the end with some great, Everybody's contributing vocally, so it's pretty amazing. I've always really liked this song. It's a very, very different Who song, and it's the mini opera that they did well before Tommy. So first, now I'm intrigued by this whole rock opera thing, and I want to kind of see where that started. I would say, though, um, and not again, not that I'm super well-versed in the Who, but when I've ever seen things about rock operas, they always mention the Who. So even if they weren't the first, they clearly popularized what we think of a rock opera as today and maybe set those parameters to a large degree. So I, I think it would be fair to, to give them the credit on that. Um, so in the beginning of this song, and I'm surprised you didn't bring it up, so I'm so glad I get to, there's some harmonized vocals, not unlike maybe the Beach Boys. Yeah, <laughs> I give it that. With, with a little bit of any time Pete is singing at this point, uh, you get a little of that English accent as well. But the harmonies, I mean, it gives me my Beach Boys reference, which is necessary. Um, You touched on a lot of the same things that I would say, and I don't want to just repeat what you said about the music. One thing I am curious about, you did send me this clip of them on the the Rolling Stones thing. What the hell was that? So it was the the version of a Rolling Stones variety show where they just basically had a whole series of bands on playing and it was done like a rock and roll circus so you had all the stones dressed up as ringmasters and all these types of things and classic jagger was as a clown for some of it and so it was hey we're at this carnival and there are all these groups playing and they had a number of bands on there but the only clip i've ever seen from the rolling stones rock and roll circus is a quick one but it's a great clip now is it was that a show like a one-off thing yeah, it was I, I believe it was a television show uh, special that was released uh, of the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circuses. Promoters and, mu- uh, and music companies looked to squeeze as much money as they could out of <laughs> bands. And so I think that was the process. I've seen so I've actually seen the logo for that before, but I guess I'm I'm not a big Stones guy. So I guess I just assumed it was like an album or something. I didn't really put together. That was a show. Um, are you not to get too far off topic here, but are you a Stones guy, Kelly? Uh, I'm not per se. I do. I do like a number of their their songs. A couple. I think a, a number of their songs are just some of the best rock and roll there is. And always overlooked, and I think incredibly underrated. In their it's in their much later canon, the Rolling Stones "Undercover of the Night," which actually might be a play playlist <laughs> entry sometime down the road, is like actually one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, and so it's a really cool thing. So. I typically know that there's going to be a song or two on any album they do that it's going to really be great. But as a kind of a sustained group to say, I can't wait for their next release. I I never really fell into that category. How about you? Kind of the same. I I never had a problem with the stones. My dad sort of listened to them. So it was like a a group that I was exposed to as a kid somewhat. There's a handful of songs I really, really love their entire body of work though. I I can't say that about, and there, there is some stone stuff I've heard that I really is not for me. Um, I kind of feel like Vex sums them up really well. Uh, he hates the Stones. I don't necessarily agree with that, but he he sums up their career really well. Where and again, he hates them, but he says they've written like ten or eleven of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time, and that should be amazing. Except they've written like a thousand songs. 
So statistically, <laughs> that's not great. So and I, I can't disagree with that, even though I don't hate them. I do think they have some really, really great songs, but they've also made tons and tons of music. And if I can only name like five songs that I like from them, he's not wrong. Yeah, I mean, so I'm kind of aligned with Vex on on that, but I I do there are, and I hate to use a sports analogy with you because it's not going to work. But oh, get it? Yeah. yeah, you know, we can all go to the plate and we can all swing a lot, but to actually hit a home run, it it takes some skill. So even even though the batting average may not be great, not everybody can hit a home run. So I think there is something about. Uh, those things that are the greatest, even though you'd prefer a greater frequency, it's still it's hard for for somebody to whistle off classic, you know, a number of classics outside. Of no, outside and I of and I agree with what you're saying there, and that's where I diverge from Vex's thinking a little bit. I get what he's saying, and I it's a fair point. But where I do diverge from that is at least they did write like ten or eleven classic songs. <laughs> a lot of bands don't do that, so. I mean, I, you can't take away their accomplishments from them. And I'm not going to... There's an argument to be made about what the Rolling Stones are now. But to me, that's a separate thing. But you can't... You certainly can't take away their, their place in sort of the history of rock music. But I also do see the point of... They've written tons and tons of stuff. <laughs> like, there's a lot of Rolling Stones songs and records out there. They're not all great. So I, I kind of fall probably a little bit more in line with you. But I get Vex's point. Fair enough. And so, and this probably wasn't evident to you, but what I'm a big, I think you already know, I'm a big John Entwistle fan, so he was always my favorite. Love Keith Moon as a drummer, but Entwistle, what he did with the bass, uh, the kind of new ground he set on that, and his, he has a really kind of dark sense of humor, and, and I've always enjoyed that. So this playlist actually, for a Who playlist, is does it match the usual mix, which was Intuitsal was lucky to get one song on an album, typically. Uh, towards the, la- the latter part of the Who's career, he ended up getting three, sometimes four. But not, you know, Townsend was the, the major composer. But this playlist is split evenly 50-50 between Pete and John. And so Slip Kid was Pete, 905 was John, Quick One was Pete. Silas Stingy is a John Intuitsal composition. Very, very interested to hear your reaction to this song. This is off the Who Sells Out, which was released in 1967. And yet another concept album that the idea was a little bit that the Who sold out, that they had gone commercial. And the cover reflected them doing advertisements for different products in a highly creepy way. And within the album itself, there would be these little snippets, which were like mini commercials for Heinz baked beans and different things. So... It was this very kind of conceptual idea of the Who is sold out. And so you'd have some Who songs and these very interesting interludes of basically commercials. Uh, and so Silas Stingy is actually just a song. It's not tied to the selling out theme. It is a song, a parable about somebody who really, really liked his money and spent a lot of money to protect his money. And at the end of it, realized he was out of money. Done in almost a medieval harpsichordy. Uh, kind of way so definitely not a standard who sound but to me always a really kind of fun cotton candy kind of song so i actually really enjoyed this song i am vaguely familiar with the album that it's from i remember seeing the cover and i have heard a couple things off of it like with the commercial interludes and things like that so in a vague sense it is an album i'm somewhat familiar with uh, i don't believe that i had ever heard this song before but musically i actually really liked it so 
this is this is a weird comparison and people are probably going to get mad at me because I'm about to compare it to sort of a joke band. But Spinal Tap has a really similar song to this and they really, really kill it. Like I, I actually like for anybody who, who doesn't take Spinal Tap all that seriously as musicians, they should go listen to that song. But I wonder if they were influenced by this because it is very similar and having not heard this, but being familiar with the Spinal Tap song and immediately put me in that that sort of frame of reference with it. I'm wondering if if that was intended as a nod to the song, because obviously they parodied a lot of things and and kind of gave subtle nods to bands and things like that. So I'm wondering if it was intended to be a reference to The Who, and I was just unaware of it prior to listening to this. Um, but I, I did really enjoy the song. I like that approach to the song. So there's actually a lot of like folky sort of elements in metal, and particularly in black metal and extreme metal, which you wouldn't necessarily think. But like Kelly and I had had you know discussed Burzum. Later Burzum records are essentially just folk records. Uh, a lot of acoustic guitar, a lot of clean singing, and and a lot of metal bands sort of took that path of implementing like folk elements and more rustic kind of <laughs> sounds and things like that. So I actually do like this kind of music. So I I really enjoyed it, and I wanted I didn't want to do any kind of deep dive on research because as Kelly and I have said numerous times, we we want to be as blank of a slate coming into this as we can, so we're not just repeating what someone else said unintentionally. Uh, but I am curious now if Spinal Tap was making a nod to this in some way with their song Celtic blues is the song. So I do want to go back and find that out. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I, I could see, I could see that I hadn't really thought about that connection, but it's there. Cause a lot of, I don't know whether you'd want to call uh Intwistle joke band kind of thing. Cause I mean, he's, he's a tremendous musician, but there was clearly humor was his, his major angle. And so when you go into his solo album work, like whistle rhymes and rigor mortis sets in they are it's like there's like roller skate kate which is a story of a harrowing story where a roller skater gets killed uh and all of whistle rhymes has got some really kind of jokey things so it's almost it's not weird al it's not spinal tap but it is definitely he the guy has a sense of humor it's a dark sense of humor and he conveyed it in a lot of songs even in the some of the big who songs like my wife which is basically the story of a guy that stayed out too late and now he's scrambling for his life because his wife's coming after him, uh, is that, that we've all been there. We've been there. <laughs> really, really. Notice nice this is one of the few times Kelly like didn't even try to fight me on that. He's like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> Justifiably so. So it was, but yeah, I, cause I would also think there's a little bit. So Celtic blues would be one. I think Stonehenge is another one from if you want to go spinal tap potential influence on Silas Stingy. Oh yeah. There's probably at least from an audio standpoint, a little bit there. So I was working, going through the whole who catalog, wanting to find things that I had a pretty high confidence. Weren't going to be familiar, introduce you to some new things and the, okay. So the wire has come out fairly recently. And that at this point, Keith Moon is dead. John Entwistle is dead. So it's just Townsend and Daltrey. So the wire is a who album, but the, the last two albums of really the Who as a group with Entwistle, Daltrey, and Townsend were Face Dances and It's Hard. And really both of those albums were pretty much savaged by the critics. I think Kenny Jones, who had the incredibly difficult task of replacing Keith Moon in the Who, I don't think he was treated fairly uh, in terms of the reviews of that. But the albums themselves typically got hit pretty, pretty hard. And as a Who fan, I politely disagree. I think... You know, it's not Quadrophenia, it's not Tommy, it's not some of the power of those those types of things. But the last two albums, there are moments in them which are 
I think really sung, and particularly from, from Pete Townsend's standpoint, uh, on occasion some of his better writing. And Daily Records, which is the next song on the playlist off of Face Dances, is one of those examples where Pete has been known to spend a vast majority of his songwriting time being introspective, talking about himself, talking about his feelings, and different types of things. Daily Records is all about that, and it's it's a little bit of this idea of he's got younger children at that point in time, and he's got he's wrestling with a rock and roll lifestyle, and he kind of is going through this idea of they're not impressed with some of these things, and maybe I just need to be making music, and just kind of that struggle there. So it's kind of an interesting storyline. In terms of what he's sharing. And then as far as a composition. This is a super fun song to me. There's a lot of really really cool things going on. It's got a lot of punch to it. I think it's an incredible composition. And as I was going through trying to pick it out. I had re-listened to that and I go. This is one of the, this is probably my favorite song off of Face Dances. It's just a really really strong song. Never got I think the attention it deserved. And so put that on the playlist for you to listen to. And interested in your reaction. I really enjoyed it. Not a song I was at all familiar with. I knew, obviously, the the Who had continued after Keith Moon. And I know that's one of those things, like, especially when a band member, it's one thing for a band member to quit and get replaced. But when a band member dies, I think that that's a, probably a, a more divisive thing for fans sometimes. Because I think even if you're not happy about it, when a band member quits and, the, and they're replaced, I think people can grasp the general concept of you know this is a business and they have to keep going and keep you know that guy quit you you still have to keep going forward so i think that that's even if you're not happy about it it, it's a theme you can grasp whereas when someone dies i think it's harder for people to kind of separate that so i would definitely not one would want to have been in that guy's shoes in any way especially replacing such an incredible i know that the the who continued and of course the who are still out touring and things like that i knew that they continued i would not have been at all familiar i think though with the the later studio work that they put out so this was an interesting addition for me in that sense i was sort of vaguely familiar that this was like a post keith moon song so i i was really interested to hear it in that sense and I was still really pleasantly surprised by how much that I liked it because he is, especially when we did the Who review that we did, it really, really, and of course everybody knows, you know, he's he's such a famous drummer, but you really, really hear what he brings to the table when you sit down with that. So I, I feel like that's such a, those are big, big shoes to fill. And I think that this is still a solid song. Alrighty, so we will wrap this playlist up with another John Intwistle composition definitely in the i'm gonna have fun with this song so by process of elimination this is the song you're familiar with yes Um, (laughs) even when i saw the title i was like i know that song i did not know it was a who song though you know so it was on a quick one that album 1966 and it um it's the story of a spider (laughs) bothering someone who meets an untimely end and it's just it's just super fun in in terms of you get, you know, the kind of creepy, crawly, creepy, creepy, crawly, crawly, back and forth kind of stuff. You know, and it just starts off with, look who's crawling up my wall, black and furry, very small. Now he's up above my head, hanging by a little thread, Boris the spider. So it's the story of a spider and its untimely demise, uh, who gets embedded in the ground uh, by the end of it. Nevermore will he call, crawl round. He's embedded in the ground. So it's just a big, powerful bass line to kind of give that kind of horror movie dun-dun-dun-dun-dun kind of thing to it, which is super cool. 
Very fun. So John Antosel did a bunch of other songs. Obviously, throughout the career of The Who, they had put My Wife was typically always in the who set dangerous which was off of its hard was another intwistle tune that they performed a lot as well towards the end of their touring as a group and that was really cool but what i was super excited about was towards the tail end of the who touring they started bringing boris the spider back into their set which i think is awesome it's a really fun song to hear live and it gives intwistle a little mic time as well so not uh not brilliant composition, not amazing lyrics, but a fun story and a fun song for me. Always makes me smile. So I had heard the song before, and as I said at the, the beginning of it, I recognized it from the title. Did not know it was a Who song. So my best guess is uh, there's a classic rock radio station here in Philadelphia that used to be great. Used to be. They still exist, but they used to be good. <laughs> and I remember when I was a kid, like that was my introduction to a lot of different bands like beyond just what my dad listened to or what my you know uncles or my dad's friends or anybody introduced me to so i definitely i distinctly remember hearing the song and thinking it was fun and being into the song so it's really cool to finally like not only to to have a chance to revisit the song again but actually to know where it comes from so that i could revisit it on my own whenever i want now so i really appreciate that element of this playlist musically one of the things i really like about it is they left the vibration of the bass strings in the song little things like that i'm a gigantic fan of those are the kind of things that typically the producers and engineers are cutting out of a record when you hear vibrations and things like that but they actually use it to great effect in this song by intentionally almost over exaggerating it and you hear vibrations on almost every string throughout the track and that's that's really cool. That's little things like that. I actually have always tried to put into songs and I appreciate it when bands do when they use things that would otherwise be imperfections as a, almost a part of the composition. Great point on keeping the kind of the bass uh, vibrations in there because it's it's totally there. And this is typically Intwistle plays this because Pete Townsend was by and large a rhythm guitar player. That's really what his strength was. So, uh, you know, they're a three piece band, <laughs> drummer, guitarist, bass player and a singer. Uh, so from an instrument standpoint, you got the three. And if you've got a guitarist whose primary skill is rhythm guitar, you need some lead here and there. <laughs> so that put this weird situation where all of a sudden Intwistle became a lead bassist on some things. Because even to go back to my generation, I think that's one of the first songs that featured a bass solo uh, in there in terms of a little kind of break, a bass lead solo. And so that was that was kind of kind of cool. So this is this is more almost a standard bass but with a, that that reverb of the the strings as well which is kind of cool and a more standard bass but john intwistle's background included french horn trumpet and all that so you start to think about the style you play that and that he kind of took that style that you play french horn with and applied it to the strings of a bass guitar and that gave you the magic that is the who and the bass player and the guitarist and the drummer and the vocalist that made them something super special so overall a good playlist for you did you enjoy it absolutely did yeah great playlist slip kid and daily records are ones as i was putting this together i was like oh crap yeah i love these songs so pull them in and there were other ones that i've just had i had always known but i tried to tried to pick a nice mix for you there of things you hadn't hadn't seen before and give mr intwistle some airtime because i'm a big fan of his stuff so yeah i mean there was only one that i i definitely heard before and you know on the second track that synth part i'm very familiar with that yeah they got beat up a little bit for who are you that they had gone too far into the synthesizers but i think it works to the appropriate effect on this 
I don't know. I think there's there's other things like um, Sister Disco on that album and a couple others that it was it worked, but they did they got they got kind of thumped a little bit with overuse on it. But I think this one in particular it was it fit well with the song, and um, I'll have to look for those samples because I think it'd be kind of cool to to kind of see where it's made up. Because I think it's a great song. Really yeah, I gotta I gotta track down those those songs, but yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with that. So whether they were paying you know a little tip of the hat to that or just flat out sampled it i'm not sure i gotta track those songs down though all right gang this was episode 99 so the next time you hear from mike and i it will be the milestone squat cobbler 100 and we're we're working to make that an interesting and very different episode than what we've done before so hope all of you listen to my advice at the beginning and have subscribed to youtube so you can catch it we will be doing some fun things with youtube for the 100th episode as well as of course release the the podcast so 100 squat cobblers coming up so wow that's that's a lot for a trilogy (laughs) not bad for a trilogy all right on that note folks looking forward to visiting with you next for episode 100 and thanks for listening thanks everyone Alright, I'm going to stop the broadcast.